James chapter number 1. We begin our reading here in verse number 12. Verse number 12. The Bible says in James chapter number 1, verse number 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Well, I like that warning and that uh, command and that desire from James as he's writing to the church, encouraging them and helping them and trying to strengthen them to stand up for Jesus. He says to the people, the church, saved people, he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. How many of you are keenly aware of the fact that you have the capacity to mess up? If that's you, would you say amen? We do. As a matter of fact, I think that it is a sign of spiritual maturity when you realize just how frail you really are and how much you need God. Some people have the idea that somebody that's got their chest puffed out and declares to the world how righteous they are, that that is somebody that's spiritually mature. It's not true. You see, the more you realize the weakness of the flesh and the power of God, the more you realize who you are and who Jesus truly is. And so we should live our lives with a burden not to err. A burden not to fall into sin. A burden not to hurt ourselves, hurt our testimonies. And more than anything, a burden not to hurt our Savior. And so the Bible says here in the book of James, Do not err, my beloved brethren. How many of you in your heart, it's, you say, Amen, I don't want to mess up. Hallelujah, I don't want to mess up. How many of you like me, you say, I don't want to mess up, but I'm not sure I always know how. (laughs) That's the glory of the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't give us commands and doesn't give us these type of challenges without giving us the ability or the understanding as to how to prevent and to keep from erring. There's some great warnings in this passage of Scripture. Our message is titled, Do Not Err, My Brethren. And our text begins in verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That word blessed, blessed, either way is the okay pronunciation. That word blessed literally means to be happy. Uh, the word blessed means to be contented. The word blessed it has the idea of being having the blessings of God in your life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be happy. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth and seeth the scornful. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Psalm 1 says you can be a happy person if you'll stay away from sin and stay in God's word. 
James chapter 1, verse 12 says, you can be a happy person if you will endure temptation. The Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. How have you been in situations of life that endure seems to be a very good way to describe the moment in which you find yourself? Uh, guess what? That was the case for Christians in the book of James, written more than 2,000 years ago, and it's the case for Christians in the year 2022. It'll be the case for years to come because temptations are real. The fact of the matter is, as long as there is an earth till Jesus returns and sets up his eternal kingdom, I'll just have you know, there's going to be temptation. There's going to be sin. The devil's the prince of the power of the air. And temptations are a real thing. Have you ever been tempted to do something that was wrong? <laughs> of course. But the Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Now, lest you become a pessimist and think, Oh my, I've just got to endure until I get to heaven. You do have to endure until you get to heaven. But I have you know something, that the grace of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the blessing of God, in the midst of enduring temptation is sweet, sweet, sweet. We can be joyful in the midst of all life's temptations and troubles. As a matter of fact, that's the key center of this chapter of Scripture. We're to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, according to verse number 2. The Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now look, if you'll just deal with it as it comes, trust the Lord through it, the Bible says you're going to be happy. You're going to be strengthened. You're going to be blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The Bible says, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The Bible says there's reward in heaven for people who endure temptation. There's a reward in heaven. Now, look, you get tired of fighting the good fight. It happens, doesn't it? About the time you begin to get tired of fighting the good fight, you remember there's a reward. There's a purpose. There's a goal. There's a crown. This word crown, this crown of life promised by the Lord is a victor's crown. It's the same thing you'd get if you won the race. And there's a reason to fight. We don't fight just to win the crown, but we fight knowing that there is reward and reason. How many of you know that certain things are worth fighting for because you know the outcome, the byproduct of the fight? That's how God works. That's a motivation that we have. Hey, look, don't quit fighting the good fight of faith. Keep living for Jesus. Keep doing the right thing because there's benefit on earth and there's benefit in heaven. And God says you're going to be happy, blessed as you endure temptation. And God has promised himself that there's reward for enduring temptation. I love it. Blessed, happy. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Do not err, my brethren. The Bible, over and over in this chapter, mentions the word temptation, tempted. Temptations, tempted. I want you to know something. Temptations do not come from God. The Bible actually gives us insight into that in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Temptation. Where did temptations come from? Temptations do not come from God. 
temptation are tools of the devil that are used by the devil to cause us to fall into sin. Well, it's a tragic thing when Christian people err. The Bible says, do not err, my brethren. It's a tragic thing when Christians err, when Christians fall to temptation. Now, the Bible teaches something about temptation. Temptation does not come from God. And temptation itself, listen to this, is not sin. Temptation is not sin. But I'll have you know something, your response to temptation will determine whether you experience the victory, blessed are they that endure temptation, or you fall into sin, at least destruction and death. Now, if we're going to do not err, my brethren, then we're going to have to pay attention to some warnings and warning signs and some things that the Lord teaches us. I was just thinking about warning signs and warning tracks. Uh, I th- it used to be a joke about my Uncle Arlen's driving. I'm looking to see if Uncle Arlen's kid, any of them are here tonight. Most of the time they are. Uh, my Uncle Arlen, after he had a, a brain tumor. After he had his surgery on his brain tumor, he was terrible for falling asleep behind the wheel and uh just terrible for it and uh any rate he was kind of a he he was kind of happy-go-lucky about a lot of stuff and driving was one of them and he would get on interstate and drive and he would just drive between the rumble strips uh that's what they're there for right uh that way you can sleep and drive so you hit one rumble strip you wake up and hit the other one and that's how you get places uh, but the rumble strips are, have a purpose. They're, they're, they're warnings. If you go any further, you're going to be off the road completely. The rumble strips. I was thinking about the, uh, the, the now in lots of baseball stadiums, they've got a, a rumble pad that the what is underneath the outfielder's feet as they approach the walls of the baseball diamond it changes sounds it rumbles when they hit it so they know that they're getting really close to the wall because if you hit the wall running wide open it's going to hurt so there's these warning signs and the lord says i want to help you i want to give you some things i want you to understand what's going to happen before you crash and burn i want you to understand what's going to happen before you err the message is, do not err, my brethren. If we're going to not err, my brethren, then we need to, number one, understand the matter of personal responsibility. We need to understand the matter of personal responsibility. So the Bible says here in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. When we come to this passage of Scripture, the thing that the writer wants us to know is that you cannot blame God for temptation. Have you ever been around somebody that's bitter towards God and they blame God for the mess that they were in? You know, it's in our sin nature to want to blame people for our failures. And the Bible makes it very plain that you cannot blame God for temptation. God doesn't tempt us. Now, there's a difference between temptation and trials. Now, God allows trials. Most of the time, trials are self-inflicted. If they're not self-inflicted, most of the time, trials are sin-inflicted. Maybe you're here and you are the a byproduct and you are in a trial because of someone else's sin. Have you ever been in a trial because of someone else's sin? It happens, right? 
But trials are allowed by God. Temptations never come from God. But I want you to know something. The devil tempts us to sin. And God has an amazing ability to take everything the devil tries to do to ruin your life, to turn it around and make things better for you in the long run. But God doesn't tempt you. Now, what I want to bring to your attention, if you want to keep from hitting the wall, if you want to keep from messing up, if you want to keep from making the error and falling into sin in your Christian life, you're going to have to understand personal responsibility. I'll just tell you, God doesn't want you to blame everybody for your problems. The first place that God wants all of us to look is right here. Now look, the world, the flesh, and the devil in perfect harmony sing a song that says you are a victim. But God in his word says you need to take personal responsibility for the way you behave irregardless to the circumstances of the past. You see... The writer here in the book of James, he hits the nail right on the head. He says, don't you be blaming God. There's a prince of the power of the air, and there's temptation to sin. But the temptation to sin is, the, is partially for you is because you have lust in you. And he says, look, don't blame God because God tempts no man. I am so confident that if men and women and boys and girls... All of humanity would get to the place where they said, I'm going to take responsibility for myself. I'm going to man up, woman up, kid up, and bear the responsibility for the fact that I have done the wrong thing. Hey, that makes a great society. This is such a novel concept. But when... People decide that they are going to pay their own bills and be responsible for their own bills. Guess what? That changes everything. When people take responsibility for their own actions, it changes everything. When people take responsibility and are responsible, wow, this is amazing. There's several teachers in the room. When children get to the place where they understand that a good grade is on them and a bad grade's on them, hallelujah, it's great. But you know what society does? Society says, you're not making good grades because the teacher don't like you. You're not making good grades because class works too hard. You're not making good grades because this doesn't matter anyway. And that illustration goes on in work, it goes on in school, it goes on everywhere because our flesh, sinful flesh, wants to blame God and anybody else for our failures. Now, if you're at a place in your life where you're still, you're still blaming what your daddy did to you 30 years ago for why you're acting like a fool today, it's not his problem anymore. You are responsible. If you're in a situation where you're blaming what a teacher did to you any amount of time ago on the reason you're acting like a fool today, you 
or your problem. And you blame God or you blame anybody else for your sinful behavior today. I want you to know something. If you haven't erred and fallen in sin, you are on the fast track to get there. Why? Because we need to understand personal responsibility. If we confess our sin, personal, mine, the Bible says, Jesus, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. You can't not take personal responsibility. We've got to own up to it. As a matter of fact, we all should get the place where we own up to the fact that I need the Lord. I need the Lord to protect me. I need the Lord to forgive me. I need the Lord to guide me. I need the Lord. Instead of saying, God, you've caused this. You've caused this. I don't know. If you're going to keep from erring, the command is do not err, my brother. If you're going to keep from erring, you need to understand personal responsibility. Number two, if you're going to keep from erring, you need to understand when temptation becomes sin. I mentioned a little while ago that temptation itself is not sin. But the way we respond to temptation determines whether we have victory or we fall into sin. We need to understand when temptation becomes sin. There's a really interesting lesson here in verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, but every man is tempted. Who is above temptation? No one. You say, well, I'm not ever tempted to sin. (laughs) You're tempted to be proud. You just fell into that trap. Every man is tempted. The Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. What are you drawn away? You're drawn away from the Lord. You're drawn away from enduring temptation. You're drawn away from pursuing the crown of life. You're drawn away from God and his word. The Bible says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Now temptation comes as a result of our own lust. That word lust is a desire, a yearning, a desire. And mostly at the time, it's a desire after something that is forbidden. We're drawn away of our own lust. I like the word own. Do you know that my lust and your lust is different, but we all have it? Some of you would never lust after the same things I would, and there's a lot of things you'd lust after that I wouldn't. But we have a temptation. We need to learn. What the sin that does so easily beset us is so we can pay attention. So the Bible says that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So I want you to see these two parts. One is the internal, own lust. Now we're to pay close attention, we're to beware and stay away from things that cause us to fall. The Bible says we're to watch out and be cautious for our own lust. But the Bible says that temptation comes as a byproduct of our own lust. Because you have a proclivity to something and you're tempted to do something wrong does not mean that you have actually fallen into sin. It's just something we become aware of. Now, now look, I don't, you don't need to be telling everybody what yours is, but how many of you could identify your weakness. How many of you could identify the sin that easily besets you, the thing that would drive, that 
that is something that's a weak spirit. How many of you could identify in that your Christian life? Yeah, sure we could. And they're all different. But what we need to understand is I know where I am going to mess up. And so, therefore, I'm going to be careful. Because if I understand my lust, that I'm going to stay away from the opportunity to be enticed. See, there are two different things. One is internal. One is external. One is in me. I understand it. I'm working on it. And when I'm, my heart's in tune with God, the temptation is not so strong. But there are times when by my own lust, I'm drawn away from the presence of God, the purpose of God. My heart is not in tune with Christ like it should be. And because I'm drawn away my own lust, then I lust. And the next thing we'll have is the enticement. Do you know the devil knows your weaknesses? And the devil is faithfully putting things before you that will entice you. So you've got your own lust and then you've got enticement. So the Bible says here, I want you to understand that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And the Bible says, then when lust hath conceived, you know the word conceived? Think about the word conceived. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Here's what happens. Temptation. An enticement, meat, and they conceive, and there's sin. So, if I'm going to stay away from sin, if I'm going to keep from erring, the message is do not err, my brethren. I'm going to have to understand when temptation becomes sin. First of all, I need to be working, keeping my heart in tune, that I'm not drawn away. The Bible says that we can spend time in His Word, and there's the washing of our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. We're working in our hearts, and we're feeding ourselves the right thing, and we're doing the best we can to keep our hearts in tune with the Lord, having a faithful relationship with Jesus, faithfully attending church. Those are things that are very important. And we're working to prevent the drawing away. And our own lust. But we're also paying close attention that we're not putting ourselves in the way of the enticement. Because when lust and enticement come together, the product, the thing that is conceived is sin. So the Bible says in verse number 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, we're not going to err, my brethren. We need to understand personal responsibility. Number two, we need to understand when temptation becomes sin. When does temptation become sin? When I'm drawn away, lust meets what? What is it? Lust meets enticement. And when lust and enticement come together, then there's sin. So number three. After we've understood when temptation becomes sin, then, number three, we act on what we understand. How can I act on what I understand? The Bible says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Act on what you understand. Look, I understand that if my heart is turned to lust, then it's my responsibility 
to turn to the Lord, to turn to the Word, to get fed, keep my heart in tune with the Lord. I know that it's my job. I remember the first time that someone blamed me for the fact that spiritually they were drying up. It was awful. I mean, I was just a kid. I was 27 years old. And I was coming up. I was preaching the best I knew how. Guy sat in my office and said, it's your fault. I'm spiritually drying up. Well, what I was saying, I was like, well, there's a bunch of people got saved recently and churches grow and things are going. But, man, it hit me right in the heart. He said, I'm drying up spiritually and it's your fault. I'm like, Sorry. Oops. The truth of the matter is, if you're spiritually drying up, it's not the preacher's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. Now, if I'm not preaching the word, I don't want to take some blame and credit because I've got to preach the word. But if you're spiritually drying up, it don't matter what church you attend, you shouldn't, you can't blame the preacher for it. It ain't his fault. Because you've got to take personal responsibility. Now look, you got to make sure that you're doing what's necessary to get the spiritual food that you need. We need to act on what we understand. We need to act on what we understand. We can't let ourselves dry up. We can't let our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus get so cold that we are just constantly bombarded and burdened and interested in sinful things. Lust. So we need to watch out for being drawn away from the Lord and the lust that's in our own hearts for sinful things, the wrong thing. And we also need to be very, very alert to the fact that the devil is working constantly to entice us to do the wrong thing. He's working constantly to entice us to do the wrong thing. What's he enticing you to do? Is he enticing you to be bitter? Is enticing you to be angry? Is enticing you to gossip? Is enticing you to sexual immorality? Is enticing what's he enticing you to? You gotta stay away from it. How many of you know certain people that entice you to do the wrong thing? Run for your life. How many of you know certain places that entice you to do the wrong thing? Run for your life. We're to act on what we understand. I'm responsible for my spiritual life. And I must, with God's help, stay away from the lust, stay away from the enticement, live a life that's in tune with the Lord Jesus. I like this little illustration. Let's go on a little trip. You ready? This may be a little embarrassing for you, but we're going to your bedroom. I know you left a mess. He's in a hurry to get to church. Thanks for rushing and getting here. But let's go to your bedroom just a minute. All right, we're going to your bedroom. Let's walk in the door. Walk right in the door. Now, I want you to go to the drawer that you keep shirts in. You ready? Go to the drawer. Open the drawer. Now close your eyes. Reach right in your drawer. I've got a special treat for you in the very back of the drawer. Close your eyes, reach in the back of the drawer. Now you feel it? It's round and squishy and a little bit long. I get a good hold on it. 
Open your eyes. Pull it out. Guess what you're holding? Snake. There's a snake in your t-shirt drawer. What do you do? Oh, oops. Let's put it back. Put the t-shirts back. Close the drawer. See, tight little snakey poo. What do you do? Now, if you find that you've got a snake in your t-shirt drawer, how many of you are like me? The snake comes out of the drawer. The drawer comes out of the house. And things are chopped to pieces. That's me. If a snake scares me, it's going to die, especially if it's in my t-shirt drawer. How many of you just let the snake live and just close the drawer and just let it do its thing? You don't do that. But you know what we're tempted to do? We're tempted in far more intimate places to allow far more venomous creatures to have a residence. We cover it up, pretend it's not there. Close it up. No one knows it's there. But it's going to get you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your family. And God says, do not err, my brethren. Do not err, my brethren. Be warned. Take personal responsibility. Stay away from lust and enticement. And let God bless you as you endure temptation. God will help you through it. There's no doubt about it. Do not err, my brethren. Let's pray.